following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Follow along with me here and then we'll unpack it together. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. That's Lazarus. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you in your lifetime received your good gifts or good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, speaking of Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that that he may warn them lest they come, lest also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And this is what he says. He said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone else goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, so this is a very sobering passage. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we're told in James that life is but a mist or a vapor. You know, it, in, in reality, our time here on this planet in, in relationship to eternity is, is brief. And yet we seem to put so much stock and investment And uh, focus on this rather than eternity. Jesus said these words. He said, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're always challenged to treasure the things that God treasures. Because the moment anything becomes a treasure, it can simply become an idol. And then we lose sight of our true treasure, which is him. And, and our heart will reside with the things or the, those that we treasure. And so we have to ask ourselves questions as we, as we journey through the scriptures. You know, what do I truly treasure? And not what I'd like to be true of me, but what is true based on my 
living and my actions. And there's always opportunity. Please understand that oftentimes when we're in, in a sermon or in a Bible study or even in our quiet time, you know, the, the, the scriptures kind of brings clarity about or even shines light into our darkness a little bit. And it brings conviction. It brings uh, a desire for change. And as the word that was used here, repentance, like turning from my way to his way. And, uh, and that's true repentance. It's not when I say I'm going to do something. It's when I actually make change. And so our posture should be when these moments of clarity come. And I promise you, as we continue to, to dialogue through this text, um, we're going to feel a sense of th- there, there needs to be a shift in, in how we manage or steward the resources, the gifts that God's entrusted to us. Because God's economy doesn't seem to be our economy here. And if we truly are praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then that prayer is meant to change the way that we live. Like that's a, that's a plea. That's a, that's a prayer. That's a request that God, that you would change. Um, like, like heaven's paradigm would become my paradigm. So that others would see your kingdom, would see you through the way that I live and love and serve and give. So let's look at the first three verses here. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, I just want to kind of understand, like from a Jewish context in a first century, like what what the first years would have heard here. So to have purple and linen... I mean, that puts you in an elite class. Um, you were extremely wealthy. Um, and when it says sumptuously, this is without bounds or limits. Like this is just gluttonous, right? But it's feasting. It's not just how we ate. It's partying. Like it's, it's having feasts on a daily basis and living in such, um, such, you know, general, just lavishness uh, with no regard, as we see in the passage, for those that are in need. And, you know, one of the things that, that the Jewish culture believed, and I think kind of seeps into our culture, is if if you have lots of money and lots of stuff and you have all of this, you know, the world has to offer, then you're what? You're blessed. You're blessed of God, right? And, uh, and then, and then of course, because you're, you're going to heaven and this kind of like confronts that mentality, right? And, and if you're poor, then you must be cursed of God, right? And, and of course, you're not going to heaven and that, this is absolutely flipped upside down here to say that those are not the indicators of what me, what blessed means or what determines our destination and and maybe maybe it's more about not what now please don't miss this maybe it's not about what we have but what we do with what we have that matters because that's a reflection of our hearts does that make sense and so i mean like at, on first read here, we see this poor guy that's laid outside of his house. He's got sores all over his body. His name is Lazarus. At least the dogs are having compassion on him. Um, but, but him and his five brothers, nobody else is. 
And he's left there, and it doesn't state it, but it's probably implied that, that there's plenty of food in this home, but none of it seems to be making its way, even in the form of scraps, to his, his mouth. And so where does that... What, I mean, we have to take this in because this is the context of everything else we're about to read and, and what Jesus wants us to understand. Because this is what Jesus has already said. He said, you will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. You can't. And so here, doesn't it make you a little sick that, you know, he's got so much and he's, he, he's unwilling to share. Why? I mean, are parents like thrilled when their little ones, you know, begin to share with their siblings or their friends? Isn't that a, a winsome characteristic? Isn't that something that you don't think our Heavenly Father is pleased and really desires that, that maybe a lot of what is given to us is meant for that purpose? Let's, let's step aside from money, which is really not a treasure to God. In fact, he calls it unrighteous wealth, right? Because of its danger to find our trust or security in it, right? So let's, let's look at food, right? That's a necessity. And we're promised, Jesus says in Matthew 6, that God knows what you need. He takes care of the birds and the grass in, in lavish ways. Aren't you more valuable than these? And so think about, think about food. Um, you know, if I'll give you an example. Um, we, we had a call last year, maybe a couple of years ago, um, where they had a surplus because of COVID. They had a surplus of food and they just needed a distributing site. And we're like, great. We'd love to help out with that. Um, but here's the thing. The, the food needs to be distributed in the next three days, right? Because, and it's, it's a tractor trailer full of food, right? And, and it's about to spoil, um, you see, like, isn't that what happens really when we don't share the resources that we're giving is that they, they rot, right? And, and when it comes to money, it might not rot itself, but it rots us, right? Think about it this way, like a tree in your yard, right? Most trees in, in our yard, if you have a healthy fruit tree, can you eat all the fruit on that tree? No way. Right? What's the understanding? Why, why would God design things that way? So that, cause we're meant to share. Like we, we're actually meant to share more than we're meant to consume. And maybe God has earmarked much of what He's entrusted into our hands that we might be stewards or distributors of these, these things. And, and, and much more treasured things than simply money or even food. But because this man who had so much was unwilling to share, this was the condition of his heart. This, this is what, I mean, we see the outcome of both of these men. And a lot of it has to do with how they treated, at least in this context, how they treated one another or stewarded the resources that God entrusted. So he scrummed, he, he ate he feasted daily. He clothed himself. You know, I think about this. You know, do, do you have lots of clothes? Most of us in our culture have several closets of clothes, drawers overflowing. How many shoes? How many pair of jeans? How many socks? I mean, it's... And if we look at ourselves... Jerry, you don't have to scoot down that low, buddy. It's okay. But like... 
most of us, if we, you know, and really we're meant to kind of see this um, even outside of our American culture, because God sees us as a global society. And do you know that there is still over 20,000, this is just staggering, over 20,000 people, many of which are children that die on a daily basis from curable disease and just starvation? And do you know that conservatively, there's over five times as much food at any given point than, than, than is needed by the global society? And yet people continue to starve. Why? Why? Is it not greed? Is it not like what we've been talking about here in Acts, I mean, in uh, Luke 16 and, and even with the prodigal son, is it not a, an understanding of what contentment is? What enough? What enough is? Or, or are we still building bigger barns to store the excess of, you know, uh, Sharon mentioned in class this morning, like, or maybe it was Gina, like, I mean, there just seems to be more and more storage facilities being built. Right? We just, we got to, I mean, aren't those the barns that we're putting stuff in that we'll probably never use or consume? Or, and maybe, just maybe somebody else could really use that? Maybe that's, that would be a, a, a necessity today? Verse 20 says, And at his gate, at his gate, why, why do you think he was, he was laid at his gate? It's probably pretty obvious that he had plenty to offer. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know what's interesting to me here is the dogs were being way more compassionate than, than, than the human was. You know, like that's the point is the dogs were even, why, when, when dogs see another dog hurt, have you ever had puppies and seen that happen? They run over and start licking them just in this compassionate mode of healing. And, uh, and, and the dogs were more postured in compassion. You know, I, I've heard this a, a lot, but do dogs put us to shame sometimes when, when, when it comes to like love and compassion? It shouldn't be that way, right? <laughs> right? Especially for the church, those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't know the love of God, have experienced the generosity of God in his lavish provision. And, uh, man, see, that's why, you know, Jerry and most of you, know, Rob, and, you know, when you come through the door, they just, <laughs> they just want to love on you, man, right? They just, they just want you to know how loved you are because that's just, that, that's what God has done for them. And, uh, and, and I'm so grateful for you guys. Um, so some points that we can kind of draw out of this particular point of the passage. This man's lifestyle was extravagant. So here's the application. Are, are we in, in Western culture, in America? You know, I, I'm sure Melissa could come up here and help us out after doing 11 countries in 11 months on a world race and tell you how sickening it is to come home right, to a culture that seems to just be blind to how extravagant and how, how much we have. And, 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 you know, it always challenges me that the American dollar can have such strength in other contexts that we can do so much more elsewhere because of that. But the man's lifestyle was extravagant. Are, 
Are, are we living so extravagantly at the expense of others simply living? So Dennis used to say, Miss Roxanne, you remember what Dennis used to say all the time? Yep. Live more simply so others can simply live. That's one of the mantra legacies of Dennis Taylor, right? And I will never forget that. And it's the challenge to be content, to find a place where enough is enough. And when there's enough need out there, does I mean, when we look at this guy, we, we're kind of like, ooh, like, wow, I'm going to draw a conclusion to a character that we're all familiar with in a moment. And, and none of us admire. And uh, and yet, you know, I, you know, every time we read the scriptures, the goal isn't to kind of point to social ill, but to look at our own hearts and to see where where, you know, God change me. Change me so that I might be more content and I might be more generous and lavish rather than consuming, distributing the very things that have been entrusted to me. Because because as we learned just recently, let's remember it's his. Right. That's that's clear throughout the entire Bible that it all belongs to him and that we are simply stewards of that. We're, we're just we're just managers of resources that have been entrusted to our hands. And how we manage that is a reflection of our heart, is our is a reflection of of how we uh, like honor or dishonor the Lord. Amen. Right. 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 Like so. So like. It's a test almost like, what are you doing? And I look around here and I see people that are like, like are such examples in this area. And I'm so grateful for your example to the rest of us. But, but can we all grow here? Can we all realize that, you know, I have, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm eating sumptuously. My closet is full. I, I have choices when it comes to shirts and pants you know, and uh, and maybe some don't. Are you living in luxury and ignoring need? Are you? How are we to steward God's gifts? These are questions to ponder. What did Jesus do for us? I mean, Jesus had it all and he gave it all. As a, as a way of being such an example to us. But this is what the Father like asks us to do is to trust him for our needs and be willing to give the things that's entrusted into our And please understand, like we put money on such a, a high prior on the list as a high priority, but, but God is wanting us to share his heart and the resources that he's love and peace and joy. He's wanting us to, to get to share the gospel with others, the good news of Jesus Christ that will change their eternal destiny. But, he, you know, what is he uniquely given to you? Because for some of us, it is resources. And in, in, our, in our culture, it, we, we're, 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 we have a lot. But, but for some of us, there's other things that God has entrusted. And for me, like I was convicted this morning and, and, uh, and encouraged too, because like, like God, God reveals his truth to me. Like he... I love that like he teaches his these sermons to me first and then I get to share what he's given to me. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What if God, you know, and I'm sure God does this with you too, when God gives you a truth, like what if God, you know, what if I didn't share what God gives me? How would the Lord, I mean, like, it, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so excited to, to, to give what God has given me in these, these messages. Right? And, uh, and, and that's the way we should be with everything that God has put in our hands. I can't wait. You know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do you believe that? Jesus said that. Like, it's gotta be truth. Right? Lazarus is known by name. I love that. And by the way, just so there's no confusion, this, this is long before, this is not Mary and Martha's brother that he's referring to here. Um, he's not, he's not making a connection. But isn't it interesting that he, he calls him by name, the one that would, that would be in heaven, that would be in, in Abraham's bosom? Like, isn't that interesting? Um, and, uh, and so he's covered in sores. You know, he has the resources to do something about it. Lazarus simply wanted the scraps and was denied. At least the dog showed compassion, as I mentioned. How we relate to those in need matters. Do you believe that? How we relate to those in need matters. Well, number one, it reveals our heart. So question, are you participating in God's economy? Right? Are you participating in God's economy? Like God wants us to be distributors. He wants us to share what he's given to us, to manage those things in light of his glory. And for, you know, like we, we learned in the previous um, par- parable that, that what do we do with unrighteous wealth? This is what we were challenged to do. And if you remember, I'm just reminding us, it was to, bit, to use it to build relational equity, Right? in order to build relational equity and to relieve the debt of others, right? And our, our greatest debt is our sin debt to God. And so that's, that's why we're entrusted specifically, he says, with unrighteous wealth. I want to read four verses with you. As I read these, they were so convicting. These, this is what we refer to as, as, as wisdom literature, this, this is the Proverbs. Solomon would have been most of uh, the one that, that wrote these from, from a perspective of a rich person that knew and understood the things of God, the wisest man that would ever live. And listen to what these four Proverbs say. In, in chapter 14, verse 21, it says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. We'll hear that word again. Verse 19, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 17, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. You know, Jesus said it this way, whatever you've done unto the least of these brothers of mine, you've done unto lends to the Lord, right? And he will repay you ever thought about lending to the Lord? Like, you know, that's the way Jesus sees that when we give to the poor. And like, can I ask something? Does it mean if you're poor, you go to heaven? Is that what this, this passage is teaching? And if you're rich, you go to hell? Is that what it's saying? No. And it doesn't mean that because you have money, you're blessed. And, and because you don't have money, you're not blessed. That, that is not the principle here. It is more about what we do with what's entrusted to us. Um, and how we serve. Chapter 21, verse 13 says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 
you know, the image that comes to mind, and I, I think we can all relate to this, if you're walking downtown, if you're driving by a stop sign or a stoplight, um, you know, we encounter folks that are in need. Um, how, how, do we, how do we manage that moment? Um, what, what is their greatest need? And you notice that this is not about, this passage is not about giving money. It says it's about not giving food. It's not about, it's about not having compassion. It's not, it's about being so blind to the need that's around you because, I mean, what, can I just ask a question? And I want some feedback here. Like, what keeps us from being generous to the poor? Anybody? Meredith? Fear? Judgment? Pride, greed, right? Like locked into our plans. Chapter 28, verse 27 says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many curses. Man, I mean, you know, when you take these verses and you put them together under a thematic element it just leaps off the page can anybody tell me who stated this quote if they would rather die they had better do it and decrease the surplus population you remember this ebenezer scrooge ebenezer scrooge bah humbug (laughs) guys i mean doesn't i mentioned that i was going to get to a character here he is there's nothing winsome about him, but the moment, and listen, none of us are promised um, a visit from Marley, okay? Like, I mean, I wouldn't wait on that, but this might be your warning today, right? This might be the warning that we all need to be, to hear and be reminded of, is that, you know, and, and isn't what makes that the Christmas Carol so so inspiring is the is the is the repentance that takes place the heart change that happens as he moves from this miser and this just scrooge character to being one that is just lavish and generous and giving it's like his eyes have been opened to the obvious oh god would you open our eyes Verse 22 and 23 says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, which here's a word we hear throughout this this passage, being in torment, he he refers to flames or a flame. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. You know, death is the great leveler, right? Right, it just... That, that's when, and, and should we not have an eternal perspective on the circumstances and, and the, the opportunities we have now? Because, like, I don't know about you, but like, if, if this is the reality, the truth that we subscribe to, and I surely do, then it should drastically change the way that I live today. And how I steward what's been entrusted to me. I mean, faith has a different way of responding and living with, with, with these principles in mind. It's like we're told that we reap what we sow. 
You know, isn't it interesting that we see in Matthew chapter 7 that by the standard that you judge others, you will be judged. That's very challenging. Like before you start judging other people, be re- just realize that what Jesus is saying here is when it comes to that time, you, you have established the standard of your own judgment on you by the way that you judged others. And so in, in this life, we get an opportunity to, to demonstrate our faith and our heart by the way that we live, the way that we love and how we manage and steward the time and the resources that God has entrusted to us. We see torment for the first time, but not the last time here, de- depicting this, this eternal circumstance, by the way, eternal circumstance. This is an eternal fire that is talked about later. How are you investing in eternity? Are you investing in eternity? Like, because that's, I mean, if your faith is, 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 is real, you're, you're going to invest, you're going to, you're going to spend everything in your life differently. Right? James says, I will show you my faith by my actions. Didn't he say that? I think one of the most relevant verses in James is verse 26 of chapter 2. Uh, for the passage we're looking at this morning, it says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, keep in mind that this is just a tent, right? Our, when our spirit is, is, is taken from our body, it endures. We're, we're seeing Jesus is giving us, if anybody can teach us about this, Jesus can, right? And he's given us a picture here through an illustration. So also faith apart from works is dead. Dead. He says, I'll show you what I believe by what I do. Basically, what James helps us understand is genuine faith works. Genuine faith lives what it believes. Verse 24, and he called out, this is the the rich man now in Hades, in torment. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, what, what, what is sad about that moment? Even facing all of this, he is still not changed. He still sees, he still sees Lazarus as beneath him, as his slave, like as one to beckon for, you know, and the first prayer that he, we hear, you know, again reflects, and this is challenging to us, is asking for his personal comfort. That's his first thing. And, and it's understandable. But, but here, like, all of a sudden now he's willing for Lazarus to put his finger in his mouth? I mean, it's, it's got to be pretty bad, right? That, 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 that's, and please just have him come over and do this because I am in anguish in this flame. He's praying for mercy. Now, here's what verse comes to mind when I think about his prayer here for mercy. Have mercy on me. First of all, he's looking to the wrong resource, right? Um, Abraham is just a fellow. And it, it kind of says as a, as a Jew where he's putting his confidence. It's in his lineage, right? But he's praying for mercy. And do you remember this from the Beatitudes? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Guys, how are you doing at being merciful to others? Because doesn't that have incredible implications in this passage? Was the rich man merciful to Lazarus? Guys, was the rich man merciful to Lazarus? Not at all. 
And we're told that the, that we're, the blessed is those that, I mean, show mercy and that, and that we might receive mercy. So he says, send Lazarus, as we've talked about. That's a sad uh, reality about the state of his heart. How we see others often determines how we treat them. Have you ever realized that? How you see them is often how you treat them. One of the things that breaks my heart is to see anybody, but much less a Christian, treat a server in a restaurant as if they're their slave or servant, rather than someone that is deserving of their love and respect and gratitude, really. How we treat others matters. It, it really matters. It, it must be bad when Lazarus' finger... He's wanting Lazarus' fingers in his mouth, as I mentioned. He was in anguish in these pains, the rich, uh, in these flames, and the rich man is is responsible. In, ultimately, in this, in what Jesus is trying to say, is the rich man is responsible for his destination. He is responsible. Verse twenty-five and twenty-six. He says, "But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things.'" And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, this is really challenging. Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. And in order for those who would pass from here to you may not be able to or able and none may cross from there to us. So what we, what we really believe about God and eternity is revealed in how we steward money and others. What we really believe comes out in how we steward the resources that God has given to us. See, we're gifted to give, right? We're blessed to be a blessing. Um, and and that's, that's God's economy. That's God's design. That's his desire for us. Would you rather be comforted or in anguish? I know it's a silly question, but like, like it really gets down to what we believe because we're told some things here and it's not based on what we do. It's what we believe because what we do flows out of what we genuinely believe. And we know that God wants us to give and not hoard and not be greedy and not be selfish, but to share. And there's the challenge. Would you rather be comforted or be in anguish? The great chasm has been fixed. Like once it's once we're there, that's it. It's over. Like this is an eternal destination that needs to be considered now. Like how many times in our lifetime do we need to be warned? Have you ever have you ever been warned as a child? Do you remember these days like when you were younger? Maybe you're the parent in this scenario, but you ever been warned about something and and you were warned with, from a loving person, someone that genuinely cared desperately for you, warned about something and you chose to do it anyway. And and found yourself in great pain or regret. There there is no turning back from this one. There's no repentance anymore. It's very challenging. Destiny is decided. What adds to the torment I believe here, and I think this is, this is important and comfort, is that you can see the other side. You ever thought about that? Like, now you're in a perpetual state of seeing what, 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 what 
heaven looks like and and, and maybe from from hell from heaven's perspective boy it, that could really help with a grateful heart in an eternal state 27 and 28 go on to say and he said then i beg you father now he's begging right now he's an evangelist right to send him to my father's house now, him he still sees lazarus in this way for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. Now he is deeply concerned. Now he's deeply concerned for others' salvation. That should be our state if our confidence is in the truth and the promises of God and what Jesus, Jesus has, I mean, constantly and over and over again warned us about this then we should be we should be warning lovingly concerned for others he still thinks lazarus is a slave and beneath him he's wanting him to be the sent one this might be your warning today i don't know where you're at but please please hear this as a warning today that there's an eternal destiny and how we live and manage the resources that we have says a lot about our hearts and whose our hearts are and who we're, who's Lord in our life and who gets to, to decide where his resources are managed and spent. Again, we hear torment. It's a painful place. It's eternal. Are you warning those you love now? Now? He says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Now, this is really challenging. It says, Abraham shares the solution here. He says, hear God's word. So the, 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 the Hebrew word here is Shema, right? Shema. And what that word means is not just listen, not just listen to the word, but obey it. That is the, that is the, the bigger, like there's, there's, there's zero intention that we would simply hear it. In fact, James says, if you simply just listen or hear and don't obey, that you deceive yourself. And so the challenge here is, no, they need to listen to the law, Moses, the law and the prophets, because they were all pointing to Jesus. All of them were pointing to Christ and his redemptive plan to turn from their wicked ways. We love God and others through obedience. That's how we declare our love for him. And as I mentioned, there are no Jacob Marleys, right? I don't know if anybody has a different experience, but we sure have a moment right now where we might be hearing the flame, the torment. This, this is just what the text is helping us to understand. This is what Jesus is pleading with the Pharisees in this moment is wake up. Because your lifestyle is contradictive of what God designed or desired for you. In Romans 10:17, it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And why I say that is, is that's exactly what Abraham's counsel was here. If they won't listen to God's word, this is the antidote. God's word has the answers or the solution to man's dilemma his separation from God, which is death, ultimately. 
and experientially. And then finally, verses 30 and 31, it says, and he said, no, no, this is the rich man. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to him from the dead, they will repent. I just think it's interesting that Jesus uses his name as Lazarus here, right? But but if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, circle the word or highlight the word repent here, right? And because that's that's what ultimately God wants us to do. Do you know that God never changes? Like he's the same yesterday. We're told Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13, 8. Like what we have to understand is, is that we're the ones that need to change. And God's not finished with you yet. And there's still places in our lives that need to be tweaked and, and changed and challenged and convicted and moved. And so maybe this morning, maybe this morning, the challenge is, God, help me to manage the things that you've entrusted to me in ways that would please and honor and glorify your name, that would help people to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Like, and that, that we would repent, right? Following, like listening to God's word, that we would change. And in verse 31, he said to him, this is Abraham's response. If they do not hear Moses and the prophet, they don't hear the Torah, the the Old Testament, that Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Because he was going to rise from the dead. And and tell me, tell me this. How did that affect did did when when he rose from the dead, right? Don't you don't you see that people were afraid? They some fl- like like it, it didn't bring this mass conversion. Until 50 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up and at Pentecost we see. But like, man, what is it going to take for people to recognize that God loves them and has a plan for them and wants them to know him firsthand and that Christ made that possible for dying for their penalty, their sin debt to rescue him back or them back to him? It's interesting. I love that that Lazarus is used here because if you think about this, remember when Lazarus is raised from the dead, what did what did the Pharisees want to do to him? Kill him again. Isn't that interesting? I mean, just to make Jesus's point here, the moment Lazarus raised from the dead, they want to get rid of the evidence. Right? Um Faith, ba- and this is this is the point. Faith based in miracles doesn't save us. It is faith in the one the miracle points to. That's only Jesus. We have to put our trust in Him. So, finally, and our last point is money can't save us even if we gain the whole world. This is what we're told in Luke chapter nine. Um, that that. You know, if you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul, you've lost it all. And so what is our pursuit when it comes to unrighteous wealth? What are we doing as it relates to the poor? Right. How are we how are we trusting God to be an instrument of provision in others lives? And uh, and are we hoarding? Are our closets filled and our pantries and and refrigerators overflowing, and yet there are those that are globally or within our context are, are in need of some assistance. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and as they do, um, we're going to give Rob a little bit more time this morning 
to come. <laughs> Rob, thank you. Um, guys, let's contemplate this. Let's not just move on to the next moment, the next experience in our lives today and miss the opportunity, the clarity of this moment. Oh God, help me to remember that it all belongs to you and help me to steward the things that you've given me and be ready to share the gifts with others that you've entrusted to me. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.